With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the airport lounge. Table for two gentlemen? Right this way. Here's your booth. Have a great show. Welcome to the Airport Lounge, the Winnipeg Jets podcast, much like Pierre-Luc Dubois, not worth $9 million. I'm Mike Guthrie, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and the glue guy of government, Vaughn Mitchell. How's it going, buddy? Well, Mike, it's been a great start to the summer. We got Chevy attacking the trade market like he was Wagner Group Chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. Just don't retreat, Chevy. We got Montreal GM Kent Hughes retreating like he truly is a French general. Things are looking good for the Winnipeg Jets. Next stop, a new Winnipeg airport. So we're not taking this podcast international. You thought you just take a broad swipe at well, geopolitical. Uh, we, we've we've always rivals? been a we've always been a niche market podcast. So Super I niche. think you know, yeah, we're we're big in Austria. <laughs> I could have had a thousand guesses, and I wouldn't have thought that you would have brought the the Russian subterfuge into this. But well done. <laughs> You're always on the toes with that stuff, Vod. Good good for you. So, Speaking of Russian subterfuge, let's talk about the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> So we're going to go through, this is part three of three, sort of a Jets recap. This one is all forward, um, forward-looking forward and forward-focused. Obviously, lots to talk about on the trade market. Lots has happened since our last one. I did want to, Vaughn, really quick, just announce, uh, you know, we, we're, all, we're all grown's up. Because you're grown's up and you're grown's up and you're grown's up. In that yep. we, we got picked up by the Hockey Podcast Network. Just it seems like a really good group of folks from podcasts across the league. And so in conjunction with that, we're going to have an actual ad read. So if you're waiting for a joke or, or Vaughn to throw, throw some subtle 80s reference in there at the end, it's not. It's an actual ads and we're actually yep. getting paid. It's exciting. It is exciting, and uh, you know it, it's appropriate that we're moving into this new sort of time in the existence of our podcast because you know the Jets are moving into a new stage as well. There, it, it looks like not only is this podcast going to be different going forward, the Winnipeg Jets are going to be quite different going forward. But before we get into that, right? Your segues, by the way, are in mid-season form. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time in the office, so I've actually been using my brain lately. So, But before we start looking at the trade market, I thought it would be interesting to discuss the implications of the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup. Not right. for the broader implications to the NHL, but what does this mean for the Winnipeg Jets? And I'll start it off very quickly yeah, and I'll turn it over. So... You know, I'm always interested in, I do think that there's something in that here's this team that bulldozed its way through four series, uh, running over other teams in the league, 
And, and what impact does that have? How does that change our view on what happened with the Winnipeg Jets? We were all pretty down on the Winnipeg Jets after yep, that series. Um, you know, it started really well with the Jets. And I would argue that the Jets played as well, if not at some times better than these other teams that Vegas rolled through uh, shorthanded. So I'm saying I, I'm interested in your opinion, Mike, because it does change my view of what that team was. The eventual Stanley Cup champions, they lost to in the first round. It's never great to lose to a team in the first round, and that can color your perspective on whether the season was success or not. But, you know, had Vegas gone out in the second round and lost four straight, I think that's fundamentally different than if this team that the Jets to lose to in the first round steamroll every other team on their way to a Stanley Cup championship. So I wanted to bring that up. What are your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, it, it's an excellent point and one who I've been giving a lot of thought to because you, you're right. On our last one, we were, you know, a, a appropriately down in terms of how the season culminated. And and the fact that, you know, again, every year, other than the play-in year against Calgary, we, we seem to run into somewhat of a, of a buzzsaw year to year because in our last true four, four playoff matchups, we've lost to the either the Stanley Cup winner or Stanley mm -hmm. Cup finalists twice to Vegas, once to Montreal, and once to St. Louis, who is the eventual winner. Now, again, the, it's, it's, it's a regression of some sort. That's just happenstance and, and fluke. But I, again, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't help my complex being in Winnipeg. But yeah. it does the way they played in the first two games or, you know, the first four periods, we were dominant and, yep. and decidedly so and very much shorthanded. Now, you can chalk some of that up, perhaps, if you're looking at counter arguments that Vegas was kicking off the playoff rust. They hadn't truly gotten into playoff form. Eichel, I will admit, in those first few games did not play as um, superbly as he did throughout the remainder of the playoffs. Stone was coming back from um, injury and getting all great points, all great points, sea legs. And but at, at the end of the day, I don't think again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I watched every moment of every Golden Knights game because I did not. But just from a 30,000 foot perspective, we didn't fare much differently than their other opponents. And it, you know, it provides it's more of a what if where I, I would what would happen if we had been fully rostered and I'm gonna you know it, it's probably simplistic but it makes me feel better about two things a the prognosis that we had at the beginning of the series that we were pretty evenly matched because that mm -hmm. didn't play out in the end just the, the way we summarily were defeated in game five and b our status in this past year in the over NHL sort of echelon like, I, I think we acquitted ourselves better in retrospect than, than what we did, at, you know, when we first got bounced out of the playoffs. Yeah, it just, I'm not trying to say that Vegas winning the Stanley Cup smooths over all bumps in the road Fair. Good. Yeah, when good it comes say. to the Winnipeg Jets. I'm just saying it casts a different light on what that team was and what they were able to accomplish. And I do think it's a little bit more favorable uh, than what the narrative was around the time that they got bounced from the playoffs. Now, it, it, it's also due to the nature of a tournament. You know, a tournament is a very interesting way to choose 
um, a winner. I mean, you won a tournament, but does that make you the best team? The best way to determine who the best team is is to play 82 games and see who's at the top at the end of it. But we have this really kind of neat system where we have both. We have a regular season, which we probably don't put enough onus on. I agree. And we have this interesting tournament at the end of the year uh, that you need to qualify for that we probably put too much emphasis on. My point being this, is that in, in looking back on it, things, and on most things, things are probably never as good as you think they are, and sometimes they're not as bad as you think they are. I think there's more to this Winnipeg Jets uh, than, than perhaps we uh, gave them credit for at the time. And as, you know, in keeping with my segues, you know, the ironic part is... You know, now we're going into a time where we're probably going to see the greatest and most turnover in talent in Winnipeg Jets history. Oh, yeah. You know, so we're looking back and you're saying maybe things weren't. Th now, PLD is a little bit of a different situation. With There's always fringe. The, there's, his desire to leave is a little bit different than maybe Hellebuck or some of the other situations we'll discuss. But, you know. Where we're at right now is is really kind of, you know, would be linked to the entire organization being at the end of the rope. And I don't know if we're at the end of the rope. I don't know if that group was. But internally, if they've fallen apart, we need to regenerate. We need to refresh. And we need to get some people out that don't want to be here for sure. But it's just very interesting for me that, you know, coming out of that series, we were probably a much better team than we gave ourselves credit for, and even probably the players thought themselves as being. Yeah, no, I agree. And the only final thought on that, because this happens every year, and just about every professional sport, I think, in that we take the winner and extrapolate certain characteristics or parameters that they that, that the team is made up of, and 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 try and you know every professional organization is a is one step away from being a copycat. And, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights had 70% Canadian players. Yeah. Now, the, the league average is about 41.2, 41.4, actually, I looked it up. And last year, or Colorado had about 50% playing players that were that were Canadian. And it just, it just food for thought. I'm not going to, we're not, this podcast, I'm, I don't want to sort of pontificate on that too much. 60% of the time, it works Every time. But it, it was just sort of a fun fact that I saw and noticed. I, I know others have, have commented on, on it as well. But at, at the end of the day, your earlier point is the one that we'll transition to because <laughs> it is mass exodus time here in Winnipeg. So we're going to start with your favorite and my favorite, the tattoo man, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah, I think where we've landed right now, and I'm not – anyone that follows the Jets knows – where we're at with PLD, he, it's almost assured that he is leaving the team via yep. trade in the next few days. I'm glad we were able to get together after some time, Mike, because things might be happening fast and furious. And it's, you know, I, I wanted us to have this dis this discussion before the actual trade was going to be made. I did too. I was hoping now, it didn't happen tonight. Yeah, yeah exactly. Me too. Um, but I hope it happens, you know, 48 hours from now kind of thing. Um I, I do think that, you know, I, I was very disappointed. I don't understand. Like, I do understand why someone wouldn't want to play in Winnipeg, but I don't understand what this guy's looking for. Not that it is there for him in Winnipeg, obviously. I'm just saying 
I don't know what he's looking for. Um, but nevertheless, it looks as though he and his agent are kind of doing the Jets a solid by seemingly participating and facilitating trades and opportunities. For a long time, it looked like we were sort of uh, painted into a corner with Montreal and they were just going to wait. And then we have this white knight, not a golden knight, a white knight <laughs> in the LA Kings uh, coming and, you know, really looking where we stand right now, like there's going to potentially, they are a legitimate suitor for the services yep. of PLD and maybe a couple more Jets. Uh, names that have been mentioned, Gabe Velarde, uh, Alex Ayafalo. Oh, thank um, you. Don't know those guys a ton. Velarde is supposed to be, he's a pretty big guy. I think he's 6'3", 215. He, he's, he does pretty well offensively and defensively. He'd be the, the gem in the trade. Ayafalo apparently is a very good defensive third liner. Oh, yeah, third liner. And, you know, um, at this point, I mean, I, I like that trade. Like, I, I think there'll be more pieces around the trade, but I think that could be the essence of it. So, Mike, I'll throw it back to you. What first do you think of us finally getting to this point here with PLD and are, are you liking what you're hearing in terms of potential uh, trade opportunities with LA or other teams? Yeah. I, firstly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused as well because for the longest time, it seemed anyway, outwardly that it was Montreal or bust. And to a certain extent, I, you know, I thought it was a bit myopic on his part, but I understood it at least from a motivation perspective and to your point, now I don't know what he thinks or what he's exactly. doing because it was it was it was a very small and narrow um, focus for so long, and then it comes down to crunch time, and then he and his agent are like, "Well, no, we'll entertain sort of all comers. We've listed about five or six teams that we would consider signing long term to." And again, not to be petty, but that's a kick in the grundle where it's like, so it's not it's not not Montreal. It's just not Winnipeg. It's kind of the, you know, but it's not Columbus strangely, and it's not it's, Winnipeg. It's, it strangely yeah. works in our favor, though. I, absolutely. And this, it's a stroke and this of, takes a me back to Lu, This takes me back to Louis C.K. Of, of course, I want to sign in Montreal. But, but maybe <laughs> L.A. would be okay, too. So, it, you know what? I think you've done a great job of identifying the juxtaposition there in that, you know, it is a kick to our, you know, our groin, to our pride in the sense that, you know, it wasn't just like if this is a kid that just dreamt about playing for Montreal, that's all he ever wanted to do. Well, that's kind of unfortunate for the Winnipeg Jets, but, I but get it's it. understandable. It's, it's passion, it's dreams, it's all that type of thing. But then it really screws us over in the trade market because we only have one suitor. You know what I mean? And it's tough to create a bidding war when there's only one suitor. Right. And he's 12 months away from getting this player for free. Yeah. So, you know him coming forward and doing just as you said saying well maybe you know I'll go to LA well now we now we have some leverage no and and, and further to that I I have to admit uh, sort of put my bona fides on the table in that for the longest time post season post playoff I was sort of heavily espousing a let's get young let's get picks let's yeah. do a rebuild as opposed to a retool Part of the reason for that is that I, two things, is that I, A, I wasn't super certain that Chevy would be able to get 
players that I would, you know, not that it's about me, but that I would be excited about moving forward, but that had sort of a win now opportunity. But that leads to this trade. And again, I'm like you, I like Vlardy and Iofello, I'm, I, I don't have extensive time or energy spent scouting them on tape. Yeah. But just on, on paper, I, I love it. Like yeah. uh, Velarde, you know, eleventh overall pick. He's really good defensively, and, re- and not fake good defensively. Like PLD seems to get credit for from time to time. Yeah, and sort of broke out last year. Had his had his best season: twenty three goals, eighteen assists, forty one points in sixty three games, which was fairly comparable to PLD on a per game basis. And yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I was looking at some some Lowry stats, and I'm I'm not here to disparage Lowry whatsoever. I love him. But I think in his twilight here, I think he's better suited for a fourth-line role, a fourth-line yeah. center role, and I think uh, Alex would fit in very nicely in that. And so you put those Lego pieces in place, and to me, now I ha- I'm re-energized for a retooling because that's a really good start. And we'll talk about Hellebuck and Wheeler and, and Shifley here in a bit, but that to me, and you know, when I first heard the trade rumors... I, I was like, ah, oh, I don't know about, and then I, you know, did a bit of due diligence, and I was like, I, I really, I want this to happen. I'm a yep. nine out of ten in terms of why, why isn't this done now? I agree, and they're teasing us by even including the name Logan Stanley as potential <laughs> moving going the other direction. <laughs> it's like, at what point is it just mean? It, at what point is it just mean? <laughs> is Neil Pionk in there too? Oh, Neil Pionk. Uh, did you get in your email their latest uh, analysis from uh, Garrett Hole? I did, yeah. Yeah, it's, it. it's like it's like notes from our podcast. It I really think is. The whole thing we, kind of was. The whole thing. I, I think we probably borrow more from him than he oh, borrows from us. Absolutely. He's a smart dude. But, so if I had to land it on this, Mike, what percentage do you think is, is the chance that PLD is not a Winnipeg Jet? Or what percentage probability is that he's moving oh i'm gonna put it at 99.99 yeah i I got 95 percent yeah i i think there's a huge probability that pld's played his last game as a jet and uh this is not only happening it's happening uh imminently now there's a lot of talk out there there's a lot of um there's a lot of lies that happen around the draft and And who knows? But there, there seems to be a lot of the talking heads circling this one, uh, like there's some blood in the water. So I think there's a good chance that you know, well, better than a good chance. I think we're in agreement. There's somewhere between ninety-five and ninety-nine percent chance this is going to happen. Yeah, right. and and they're like it's to your point. Their Twitter rumors and and speculation abound, but it, you know, not in, in addition to the L.A. Uh, rumors, which seem very concrete, and you know, like Harkins was involved in yeah. in, in some of it, and, and Stanley was, and then we were going to get some some picks back or future considerations. But you know, I uh, I get lit like Ottawa, Montreal says they're back in the game. Colorado, I saw, asked him if he wanted to play there for a year, and then they'd send him wherever he wanted to go. Like I have a feeling that if the LA deal doesn't go through, that something else will formulate either at the draft or shortly after the draft. I'm just, I'd be really shocked if he wasn't traded here within the next two weeks. 
Totally agree. Let's move on to a surprising one. Yeah. Uh, Connor Hellebuck. Now, this one for me kind of came out of nowhere. Not that I'm shocked, but there wasn't the long-term rumblings as we heard around PLD and his expected departure or desire to play elsewhere. And it's not that I necessarily attributed um, Hellebuck to a lifer, but, you know, he made his bones here. He's made a lot of money with the Jets. Uh, I thought that this whole, anytime he spoke, he spoke very highly of the of the context. Uh, I know he's also spoken about a desire to win a Stanley yeah, Cup. But that, that is something that is earned. It is not a right. Uh, you're not entitled to win a Stanley Cup. So um, this one kind of came out of nowhere for me. There hasn't, there's been only, people are kind of counting him gone. But there hasn't been the same detail around where he might go. I know New Jersey has New been Jersey mentioned. Was, yeah. But really, why New Jersey? Like, I, I don't know. And then what's coming back? It's been very cold on that front. And and not, the, I, not that I'm saying that Kevin Sheveldayoff can hold multiple ideas in his head at the same time. <laughs> and perhaps this PLD stuff is really taking up a lot of his headspace for the time being. But I, I don't know about this one. So just kind of trying to spark conversation here. I'm going to jump ahead and and, and say, I, I'm only putting 50% that he's gone. Now, it's you, you read the tea leaves in the social media, and it's much higher than that, the language around it. But I'm just not seeing, you know, the same detail, the same, you know, um, um, confidence in yeah, I, I agree. the same level of background. Uh, this is, it's like... And the talking heads are just, yeah, come exactly. Out. Like, PLD, the agent, it was Brisson, came out and said, this is what we're doing. Uh, I, if it's out there, then I haven't seen it, and I apologize. But I don't think I've seen a formal declaration from Hellebuck or anybody in this camp saying, yes, the rumors are true. You know, conversely, though, it, if if we're, like, everyone has an internet account, and Hellebuck yeah. and his people would be very aware of the hullabaloo that's surrounding him and it you know it, it did come out that he was seeking nine million per year i don't know if that was through him or again that was more speculation on behalf of sports journalism but at the end of the day he hasn't one way or another i haven't seen a sort of a formal declaration so one half dozen the other i would put it at about um probably 75 percent but much far less confident than than pld because, you, you know, Murat wrote a really good article, and he nailed the perspective L.A. trade that's on the table right now. Yeah. And then his take on Hellebuck was New Jersey for Akira Schmidt, Simon Neme, and Michael McLeod. Now, the, the key piece in that is Neme, who was a second overall pick a few years ago. Um, and, you know, it's still a developing prospect. But part of that, you know, and this is what he raised as well, is that with a $9 million tag, is that too rich for potential suitors? Yeah. Because it's Bobrovsky and Vasilevsky are the only ones that make over $9 million a year. And, you know, I, I would posit that Hellebuck belongs in that. You know, I just saw on the old Twitters that he finished third in the Vesna this year. Um, yeah. But, again, third out of 32 is really, really good and has been consistently good for the past five years. So I think he and his agent are are reading the market well that he is worth that but a 30 plus year old goalie there are some questions and concerns and will he get that money and if not will the jets pay him that 
I mean, I mean, that's the big question is that are we going to commit to him, say, for five years at, at $9 million? And, you know, it, it's just the, the goalie market is obviously bespoke and a weird one. Like, they don't come up for trades very often. Most of the times it's backup goalies getting traded for each other or future considerations. Like, Hashik got traded after winning a Vesna when he was 36, and Marc-Andre Fleury got traded when he was 37. But, you know, again, that's 36 and 37 are much different than 30. And, and I think some teams might look at it and say, well, the Vegas Golden Knights just won a goalie with Aiden Hill. Exactly. And Colorado won with Darcy Kemper. Like, it's, yeah. not, a, um, it's not a barrier to admission in terms of Stanley totally Cup agree. success. It really helps. And it, there is a long run of the, you know, Vasilevsky and uh, Bobrovsky and Tuka Rask, like all Vezier winners, all in the finals in the last five years. But exceptions abound in terms of what uh, you need from your goaltending. Sometimes it's just average, if not that, even below average. So mm-hmm. I, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. I was very confident when the rumors came out. And I jumped the gun a little, uh, as I usually do. And now I'm much no. less confident. I know, right? No. You know, just just to wrap this up, and then we'll we'll go to our uh, our, our read there, our advertisement. Um, I think a long shot for Hellebuck is L.A. Actually. I think it would be difficult to fit him under the cap in the long run to resign him. Uh, they might. I, I don't know the numbers, but I think he'd be a good fit there. They're looking for to, to upgrade at goalie. I think Hellebuck could provide them for that. Um, if we could, that, if that could help extract even more young talent out of LA, I think it would be, you know, very interesting for the Jets to pursue that. But it, I think it might be tough to to fit. Hellebuck and yeah, I agree, uh, resign. Now the, again, there yeah, there's there's some talk about you know because of LA's cap situation. Does does uh, PLD want to sign a one year contract and then an eight year contract after that? That's huge risk. But but anyway, shall we get to our new? Let's sponsor? do it. I'm excited. All right, this is going to take a lot. This is uh, quite quite the I, thing we have you're to. Read, but I, I trust you. I'm super excited about this. All right. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Do you have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpmema.org. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with the Hollywood Casinos at Charlestown Races, in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most eligible states, 
but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10 plus legal required for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. All right. <laughs> Good one. I, I guess if you're a gambler in Canada, there's no real outlet. No. Well, we're we're going to have to look. We're going to have to ask our uh, our overlords now at the Hockey Pad Podcast Network what that happens. I like it. I love it. DraftKings Sportsbook app. Download Go check it. Out. it. I, I got an account. I opened up an account. I've been playing around, spending uh, money that I'm not telling my family I'm spending. So you should do that too, but do it Don't email his wife. <laughs> All right, should we do? Let's let's go. Uh, let's jump to the oh captain, my captain, Blake Wheeler. In a bit of a surprise move, yeah. we learned this week that the Jets are very close to either buying out or retra- or trading and retaining salary on Blake Wheeler. I have a bit of a theory that I'm going to get to in a second. Oh, I like Bond but theories. I do. I do think this is time. Uh, I think this is very, this is outside the DNA, as I understand the Jets organization to be. This is a business move. It's the type of business move the Jets haven't been, you know, like to pursue in the past. This is not, this is calculated, borderline cold. Whereas they've tried to maintain friendships and looked at everything on a very personal basis. Uh, we, Everyone who listens to this podcast knows we think Blake Wheeler is a phenomenal player who can still contribute, but his usage was the problem. Get him out of the top six. You know, get him off power play one. He's earned every penny. I don't begrudge one penny we, we pay him, but his usage was wrong. Maybe his presence in the room has become a barrier to young guys growing, but this is a very un-True North move. I'm very surprised by it, um, and and my theory. Should, do you want to hear my theory? I do. I you're right. Yeah, give it to me. I think they're they're moving Wheeler out. So Shifley. Now I know Wheeler's not the captain right now. Shifley will be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. It's oh. his carrot. It's his carrot to stay. Oh, I like it. It's his carrot to stay, and it will be his team to run the way he sees fit without Blake Wheeler looking over his shoulder. That's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that because I had, I was treating each four of these individuals somewhat in a vacuum. But that, I mean, again, I, I can't refute her um, in any significant way. That's interesting. Yeah, like, I, I worried about... Jets are guilty sometimes, I think, of a sunk cost fallacy in that yeah. they're gonna just going to play it out and rather than ruffle feathers and create waves personnel-wise, we'll just, we'll just eat the loss, so to speak. And, and this, to me, represents what professional organizations should, could, and need to, to do. It, it's absolutely, as you very eloquently put it, it, it's no slight on Wheeler whatsoever to look at it as a business decision and say, we are probably better off financially and on ice production if he is not with the Winnipeg Jets anymore because there is that awkward transition 
where now Wheeler is getting 12 minutes a game. Yeah. And he's no longer your captain, and you're watching a third of the Jet, who is, you know, one of our best Jets for half a decade. And, I, I, again, I'll be in, I don't think there's a trade market for him, obviously, unless the no. Jets retain 50%, if not more, of his salary. You know, that's a possibility. Um, Chicago seems to be gobbling up contracts. But at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, I put it at probably... 90% that he won't start the 2023-24 season yeah. in a Winnipeg Jets roster. I got it at 95. I got it yeah, at 95. Okay. It's it's sad. Put his number in the rafters. It's the right business decision if the Jets go through with it. It's the right time to let him move on and finish his career on his own terms. That doesn't have to be in Winnipeg. We should celebrate him as a player. But what was happening over the past couple seasons was just untenable. All right, that brings it to my favorite and yours, Mark Scheifele. <laughs> now, there's a lot of speculation he would be moving, but I'm not seeing it. I don't think I haven't there's... seen a single no nope. blurb piece anything anything from his camp even in even in dark web rumor land I haven't seen the only thing I have seen is Boston yeah and that's there, very recent too yeah it's very recent and that um you know there's some speculation today that they moved Hall and other pieces to clear up cap room people were doing some Sherlock's homing Sherlock Holmesing and deducing that they were sort of dumping salary cap in order to accommodate a new contract for Shifley. There is absolutely no, nothing I've seen anyway, positive no. merit to that, more just speculation. But that's been it. That's the only, Boston's the only team I've seen tied to Shifley and the only, you know, ongoing speculation, I think, at the yeah. forefront. Well, a couple things. You know I get up every day and, and ask myself, how can I figure out, Mark Shifley to be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. But I know you do. even though I do that, I think on this one, the lack of narrative, the lack of rumors around him, and people have been trying to push him out for a while. And I thought that if there was if there was smoke there, there'd be most more smoke there. I actually don't feel that Mark Shifley is a Boston Bruins type player. Now, this is an organization that passed on Matt Barzell and Kyle Connor because they weren't Boston Bruins. Yeah. Okay. There's that very famous clip of the Boston Bruins war room where they were questioning, you know, are these the type of guys we want on our team? Um, and I don't think, I mean, I love Shifley. I know he's uh, to a degree a flawed player. And I think that there, there isn't a team less likely uh, to trade for Mark Shifley than the Boston Bruins. So I think that I think there's a desire I, to, to hold on within the organization, the Jets organization. I think they're going through a lot of turmoil. They don't like to do things like trade PLD. They don't like to do things like um, buy out uh, Blake Wheeler. If they have to trade Hellebuck, they're, they're literally, their mind is explo exploding. I don't think this organization could handle... Uh, you know, I think sunk cost fallacy is actually in their mission statement at True North. <laughs> so I do think that there's a high probability they would want to retain their first uh, ever draft pick. The guy that, you know, there wasn't even a Winnipeg Jets jersey when he became a member of the Winnipeg Jets. If you remember that at the draft, he put on an NHL jersey. Yeah, I remember Jets that, jersey. yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a strong desire in the organization for him to finish out his career as a Winnipeg Jet. Uh, they're going to they're gonna make they're going to do everything in their power to uh, to make sure that that happens. And I think one carrot 
uh, one enticement they can they can extend to him is to be the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. So I think there's only about a five percent chance that he's not a Winnipeg Jet when the season starts. Yeah, on the captaincy, I do I do like the uh, the con- you're you're consistent. I can set my watch to your chiefly yep. love. I, I mean, I I would personally much prefer Josh Morrissey in that in that role. I, I Mark Shifley is many things. A hockey talented talented hockey player is absolutely one of them. I'm not in the dressing room. I don't have inside information, but from the periphery, I don't know how much of a leader he is in terms of player development. I think so I think a lot of times Mark Shifley's out there for Mark Shifley and his play sometimes I think is indicative of that. And I, I, I think he has had a leadership role for quite some time, and, and I can't recall too many times where I've been impressed with a press conference or throwing your throwing yourself in, in front of the bus in order to save a, a teammate. Again, all of that is anecdotal. My preference, anyway, the personal one would be Morrissey, but I, don't, I can't disagree with that might be a, a strategy that the Jets are going to use in order to entice him back. I guess my next question would be what would be... If that's the case, because we really don't have trade speculation to discuss. I mean, the again, Murat's going to get royalties for this, but the, the the player he named was Swayman, the goalie, the young mm-hmm. prospect, and that was sort of a straight-up trade, and that would fill the Hellebuck hole. But I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, to go from Bergeron to Shifley, those are two very fundamentally different players, depending on Bergeron's insistence on either staying or, or going. But what, what would you think would be a reasonable contract to bring him back? And quasi long term or long term? Well, Mike, I can't let my brain go there. <laughs> I I can't I can't think of like okay you know like you know Connor McD- Leon Drysital okay straight up one for one <laughs> Drysital for Shifley. Oh my god! I, that's just that's I I'm not serious so all right I, so I know Mark Shifley, Mark Shifley, like Mike Guthrie out for himself just like Mike Guthrie in the boardroom all right so. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question for you, Mike. Oh, okay. If some of these trades go through, so we move PLD out, I know we, we don't really have a clear indication on what would be coming back for Hellebuck. We move Wheeler out, which we both said could be, we've long-standing position that that could be addition by subtraction. Yeah, agreed. And let's say we retain Shifley, you know, so potentially with that trade, you have in your top six, you have Connor, Shifley, Ehlers, you have Velarde, you have Perfetti, um, you know, you have and Niederreiter. That is a that's a formidable uh, top six. You improve your checking line with Iafalo. You know, if we can somehow get Neil Pionk off this team, we might be um, we might be a playoff team. And and the other last point I'll add before turning it over to you, I think as you touched upon. You don't necessarily need elite goaltending to make a splash, splash in the playoffs. That seems to be where things are trending. So do we need Hellebuck? Could that be a gateway to building a better team, You know, not having to rely on him, pay, paying more attention to detail uh, with systems on the ice? I think there's a good chance that we come out of this looking pretty good and are a fringe, a fringe playoff team. Yeah, and then I guess that sort of bears the discussion of, is, is that what we want to be? Like, I understand the value of playoffs and playoff 
revenue. I also understand the value GMs place on their job and their stature and status within the NHL. So I, I think it behooves most GMs in Kevin Chandler-Dayoff's position to retool over a rebuild because you might not be the overseer of a rebuild given, you know, 13-plus years tenure. And, and I also think Chipman feels this way as well. I think the whole Jets organization is on board that we are not in the business of rebuilding. We're going to, if we're, if we're going to lose pieces, we're going to bring back what we think are comparable pieces to remain co- competitive. It, it's just something where, I, again, and I, we've already stated, like the Vlardy and uh, fellow, like that's a good that's a good start. My that's only good, thing yeah. with with Hellebuck and, and Shifley, and this is the lowest form of analysis possible, if we can get, if that is the plan and there's no other other way around it, if we can get good pieces to fill in and then backfill our defense with some of the prospects we've had waiting in the wings, looking at you, Hainala, yeah. I, I do agree that it's not out of, you know, it, it, we probably would slate in at the start of the season in the 15th, like a wild card fringe playoff team, maybe with some upside. And part of me is excited for that because I, I like many fans, enjoyed the playoffs. And I enjoyed the whiteout this year. All of that is gravy. But I just, in terms of long-term thinking, you know, the Colorados of the world, the Edmontons of the world, the reason they're in the position they're at is because they got first overall picks and second overall picks and you get key generational players that you can build around and again you know there's no one right way to build a a franchise or build a winner i just it worries me that we might be stuck in mediocrity with with this plan for two three four five years down the road a wise man once wrote canada a canadian team has not won the stanley cup in 30 years (laughs) he's very wise man a very wise man um check check out mike's article it's excellent um so you know i think that i don't know if i buy into this you know i think it's difficult to win the stanley cup especially in canada and i think you got you got to be mindful of the business because you could you could chase yourself broke by chasing this dream that's called the stanley cup especially in canada um so i'm i'm I think, especially with a tournament, interesting and strange things can happen. Um, will the Jets ever be first overall in the NHL? Well, we got close once, and we did it by, you know, just just sticking with our draft picks and being making some smart moves and getting a little bit lucky. And I still think there's hope to be there. But I don't think you have to tear it all down to get there. No, and fair. And the other aspect of that is that we might not have a, a choice. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, speculation aside, if Mark Shifley comes out tomorrow and said, I also am not interested in signing a long-term deal with the Winnipeg Jets, whether or not that would be posturing or contract negotiation scheming, who knows? But again, that's another forced hand. But the, his relative silence thus far makes me think that out of all these players that we've discussed, come you know April next year, he to me seems the most likely to be on the Jets roster. Yeah, no? I agree. 
Yeah. Oh, I agree. Mark Shifley? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, I think we have some optimism looking forward. This is the third of the three-part series. Yeah. There's lots to go. We have the draft coming up. We have the potential trades. I think we'll probably be circling back in a couple weeks, uh, talking about some very exciting things that have happened in Jetsville. Uh, hopefully we'll be uh, even more optimistic then as we are now. Uh, I think we're more optimistic now than we were at the end of the season That's or fair. after phase two. Um, you know, uh, So I'm looking forward to our next podcast and being a part of the DraftKings family. And well all said. the money and all the money that brings. We're... All the money. <laughs> all the money. All right. All right. That, you want to take us out? So, fellow travelers, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us in the Airport Lounge. Check us out on Twitter at Airport Lounge 55 with all episodes also available on Apple, Spotify, and Overcast Podcast. Be sure to come back next week to the Airport Lounge because the first round is always on us. Until then, go Jets go.